Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new week, new edition of Houston Sports Weekly, our weekly podcast on KPRC 2 Plus and click to Houston.com. We come to you every Friday, whether you're listening or watching. Great to have you with us again. Randy McAvoy, Ari Alexander. We got a, a big segment on the podcast today. We're going Astros in segment one and then segment two. You and, you and Aaron Wilson. Yep. Texans OTAs. We'll get to that here in a few minutes. Segment two, Aaron Wilson, our Texans insider for ClickToHouston.com. We'll check in. But, hey, let's start uh, with some Astros talk. Uh, Ari, week, they had, they had momentum when they came back, but then they lost two out of three to the Twins, or a, a good Twins team. Let's give them credit. Uh, Angels are in town, and as people get this uh, this morning, uh, if it's Friday, you're looking forward to uh, the tonight's showdown between Framber Valdez and uh, Shohei Otani. But they got the opener last night. Good bounce back win. Yeah, it's a good win for for the Astros. And that pitching matchup was tough for them because Reed Detmers, the lefty, he's a first round pick, big star at Louisville. He's one of their top prospects. And then you have on the Astros side, basically the number nine guy in the organizational depth chart when it comes to starting pitching. Ronel Blanco yep. has been the Sugarland closer the past two <laughs> years. And when Dana Brown came into the Astros system and he's watching guys at spring training and he sees Blanco, 96-mile-an-hour fastball. He's got that nice slider. And I guess he said something along the lines of, why is that guy not a starter? Let's make him a starter. So they made him made a starter. Made the call boy back then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's been a difficult kind of season for Blanco because he got stretched out in spring training, and then he came into the season. He earned a spot on the team, but his spot was to be a reliever. So he's been a reliever again. Didn't do mm-hmm. all that great. Gets sent back down. Got stretched out. They're now in a 17-game stretch, day stretch of 17 games. Needed an extra pitcher for have a six-man rotation. Because they're going to be doing that for a while, Yeah, it looks like. And, uh, hey, he came out Thursday night. Yep. Did the job, got out of a couple of jams, and ended up picking up his first win. Gets the call up. Yeah. Uh, had a really nice start in his last start in AAA with Sugarland, and so it kind of looked like he was ready. He'd gotten up to 80-plus pitches, mm-hmm. and he threw 94 in his first uh, first major league start of his career. He faced uh, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout six times, so three times through the order on each of them. They went one for four with a single and two Nothing walks. wrong with that. Very solid. Uh, five and a third, gave up two runs, seven hits, had a few walks, but – I mean, he gave them a chance to win, and yeah. every time out, other than one, you look at Belak, France, and now Ronel Blanco. Their stats aren't sparkling. They're not amazing, but mm-hmm. they go out, and they give the Astros a chance to win. All right, uh, we heard from uh, Dusty Baker this week as well. I believe it was, on, the th- it was on Wednesday, I believe, at Minute Maid Park. Update on Lance McCullers. And before we get to the interview you've got, uh, man, another setback for Lance. And, yeah. and now you're looking, best case, maybe past the All-Star break, but – He's still throwing on flat ground right now. Yeah, they had to bring I mean, him back. He was on the mound. He was up to 93, apparently. And then yeah. again, something with the forearm. And and uh, yeah, now it's just building back up. And Frustrating, I know, for him. They're going to have to continue relying on these this organizational depth that they have. And just like we keep mentioning, Belak, France, and now Ronel Blanco, mm-hmm. those are the guys that are essentially replacing Luis Garcia, who nearly won, you know, Rookie of the Year, can be a borderline all-star. Jose Urquidy, who should be back at some point in July. Uh, there was a good update with Urquidy that he's kind of progressing as he's supposed to. And uh, who am I missing here? Who's the third guy that's out? McCullers, right? So it's yeah, McCullers, McCullers Ur- Urquidy, yep. and Garcia. You're now replaced by 
JP France, first time in the majors. Brandon Belak's kind of a 4A guy, although he's playing he's pretty been, well. He's been actually pitching the last couple of starts pretty well. And then uh, Ronald Blanco, who's been a AAA yeah. closer. But it was encouraging to see uh, what Urquidy was doing in the outfield, at least. Looks like he's making progress yeah. and, and not a setback like McCullers. Hey, we got some video to get to. Uh, you had an interview out there at Minute Maid Park. Yeah, so my good friend Erica Weston, who is the sideline reporter for Bally Sports West, covering the Angels the past two seasons. She was at uh, Bally, probably Fox Sports at the time, Midwest, covering the Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, so she's been covering Major League Baseball, both NL and AL, for a long time. Covered a number of topics. Are the Rangers for real? How for real are the Angels? I grilled her a little bit on, is this Angels team any different than the standard Otani and Trout are great right. and everyone right. else is terrible Angels team? So take a look at uh, the conversation with Erica Weston over at Minute Maid Park. Along with the Bally Sports West sideline reporter for the Angels, Erica Weston, a good friend of mine and a longtime colleague and now a longtime baseball reporter. We're going to talk a little bit about obviously the Angels and the Astros, but what's going on with the AL West. And so the first thing I want to ask you, you've seen the Texas Rangers. Are they for real? I think they are for real. And if you would have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I probably wouldn't have given you the same answer. I don't think that there was enough of a sample size to really know if we can believe in them. I think so much of what's going on with the Astros is the, or excuse me, the Rangers, as we're here in Houston, uh, the Bruce Bochy effect. It's just a completely different dynamic for that team. Nathan Avaldi has been lights out for them. Now the question remains, can the starting pitching hold up the rest of the way? Well, who knows what happens when they get DeGrom back, if that's going to happen sometime soon. Um, that's a big X factor for them. But you know that they're going to hit. Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager have been legit, as has the rest of the lineup. So if the pitching can sustain itself, it's the Texas Rangers division to win. And everybody else will be trying to follow suit. I know with the Angels, there's kind of been the the same narrative for years and years. You have Shohei, you have Mike Trout. Overall, the team is still bad. Does it feel that way again this year? No, not at all. And I think that the um, national vantage point is, oh, same year, same old angels because of where we sit in the division. And I don't think that that's a fair assessment. Has the starting pitching not caught up with the rest of the team? Yes, but it's getting there. This past stretch of games have been really good. Have there been moments when Joey has looked human? Yeah, absolutely. But have you seen what else this guy has been doing on the field? So, And you have to take into consideration that the fact that the division as a whole, with the exception of the A's, obviously, is a behemoth of the of a division. The AL East is what everybody wants to talk about, but you're talking about four really, really good teams in the AL West, and there's probably going to be one really good team on the outside looking in when all is said and done come October. Now, of course, the Angels are hoping that they're part of that conversation, um, but they're really a, not a question mark, I wouldn't say. They have to have this continued, sustained success that they're having right now. The offense is going to be fine. They just need the pitching to continue to come around, but the division vision itself has been really impressive and again right now we're all looking up at the at the Rangers is that the case in a couple of months we'll see all right well I know this isn't maybe going to make some friends in Houston but do you believe that the <laughs> the Angels can compete with the Astros for this division I know I'm I'm gonna leave out the Rangers for now because the history has been that it's the Astros winning the division can the Angels compete I think here in Houston after this series this is a big question mark for them I think if you get out of here this weekend with a split I think the answer is yes but again it's been the Houston Astros division for a while now so they are the blueprint for what every other team in this division is trying to do so 
I don't know. I think they're using this series right now, this weekend, as a big measuring stick for them, and they're coming off of a really impressive outing against the White Sox with a series win, and the, the way that Shohei and Mike have been swinging the bat has got to be sustained success for them in this series, but they have had so many so much trouble in this yard against Valdez, against Javier, so you got to be able to come out with two wins in this series, and then after that, we'll say, sure, we'll see. But again, I think it's the Rangers, the Astros, and the Angels in this division right now with the Mariners not too far behind. If you're not a fan of the Angels or you're an Astros fan, everyone knows about Shohei and Mike. Who else should I be watching on this team? Right now, probably Brandon Drury because his bat has been red hot. He's, I think he's batting cleanup today. He took a pitch off of his wrist in Chicago, uh, so he missed a day at the end of that series. But he has probably been one of our most consistent performers. He got off to a really slow start in April, but if you look back at his career numbers, it takes him a while to get warmed up. So you throw all the April numbers out, and he, not to mention the fact that his bat is red hot. He's played pretty much everywhere as far as the infield is concerned, and he's played a really solid second base for the Halos right now. So outside of the eye-popping guys like Mike and Show, Drury's been really consistent for the Angels. You guys also have a really interesting minor league system that you've been calling up guys early, uh, the, the kid at shortstop and then Ben Joyce. First impressions of Ben Joyce. I mean, wow, what a performance. You put him in there for his major league debut in a one-run game in the seventh inning against the White Sox, and the guy looked cool as the rule. Like, he had been there for a while. Like, he was a veteran of the game. His first strikeout was 102 miles per hour. He was sustained over 100 miles per hour with those fastballs. Nothing but impressed with that kid, and I think everybody's like, oh, just wait for the Tommy John. He's going to have it. Well, guess what? He already did, yeah. and he had success with it after with Tennessee. So he actually made his debut a year to the day when Tennessee won the SEC championship. So it's kind of cool and all of those things align. But, man, has he been impressive. And there's a couple of trash pandas that are down there with him, too. So he's got some familiar faces. So, yes, they've been aggressive with their call-ups from AA. But when the guys are ready, why keep them down there? And, you know, they're finding, trying to find a good formula down there in the pen. And if you got the high velo guys at the end, that's obviously going to give you an edge. That's what they've been looking for. So for the uninitiated, Trash Pandas is not a bad thing. That is the uh, <laughs> the nickname of their double A squad. But we've got Angels. We've got the Astros. It has been the Astros division for a long time. Erica believes it feels a little bit different in 2023. I'm going to hold you to that this weekend. We'll see how it all shakes out. Erica Weston from Valley Sports West, thank you. You're watching Houston Sports Weekly. All right, good conversation there with your good friend. Uh, good insight, uh, Ari, there at Minute Maid Park. I mean, who, this division is just kind of crazy right now. I don't see the Rangers keeping this pace up. Now, they're scoring a lot of runs. There's no doubt about it. That offense, is they're, they're doing something right over there. How long they keep it going, I'm not sure, but I, I don't see it being a full season. I think they're going to peter out at some point this summer, you think? <laughs> you hope so. I mean, the, yeah. the offense is good. The pitching staff is much improved. You look down their line. Martin Perez has been given the Astros fits for a couple of years now. He's, he's a good pitcher. You have right. Nathan Eovaldi that they signed who's been phenomenal lately. Jacob deGrom maybe at some point will come back, and when he does, he's the best pitcher in baseball. Right. And then uh, John Gray they have now. like They have some arms there. I do think at the end of the year, the Astros end up on top of that division. But there is now a solid battle between the Angels, Rangers, and Mariners for that number two spot. Those are good. I don't know, like all these, whatever, maybe some Mariners fans are going to stumble on this. If they win the division, and be like, you believe the Astros are just going to win the division? Yes, right. I do. The Astros are just going to win the division. And then you have three other teams who are pretty good, who you, you want the Angels to compete. It is good for baseball for the team that Shohei Otani and Mike Trout are on to finally actually be good. And luckily for them, they yeah. finally look okay this year. 
All right, a couple other uh, nuggets before we head to segment two. We'll go to Texans here in a few minutes on the podcast. Uh, some other takeaways right now for the Astros. Uh, let's start with Alex Bregman. Two more hits on Thursday night. He's been on a tear. Remember, he was way down, hovering right around 200. Yeah. And now he's uh, 245, 250. He was two for four against the Angels. But over his last 10 games, this guy's been lights out. He's figured it out right now. The confidence certainly back with with Bregman. Well, to let the record show, I, I never doubted Alex Bregman with the batting average. said everything looks fine. The underlying stats are the same yeah. as it's always been. He'll be okay. And it looks I think like people he's are just coming surprised up. that it was got, you know, that low. He, he typically struggles to start the year, but it's like, okay, we're wrapping up the month of May yeah. now. Let's get it going. And he did. He's, I yeah. mean, I, I have no doubt that he knows what he's doing mechanically. He knows what he's doing at the plate. He understands the pitch shapes, all the things that he does to, to know the game of baseball. And whenever he struggles, it's almost always some sort of mechanical issue that he overthinks and then he ends right. up getting it fixed. He's the guy that I, there was a, a point in the game on Thursday where their base is loaded for the Astros and Bregman's up. And like, you don't want to face Jordan in that situation, but mm. Bregman is almost worse to face in that situation with Jordan because you have a better chance of striking out Jordan than Bregman. Right. Bregman just not going to swing outside the zone ever. And so you have to mm. throw it to him in the zone, especially in his home ballpark. He knows what to do. Just flick that ball out there into the Crawford boxes. He is just such a tough guy to face in a clutch situation. Got about 30 seconds, so Bregman's warming up. Altuve's doing his thing. Thursday was... I believe it's 10th game back, and he's last five or six games. He's figured it out as well. That's been a good sign for him. Uh, Kyle Tucker, this it's guy. Fine. Uh, big time night against the Angels. I mean, he's just starting to produce every single night. He's not so, a shocker. He's so impressive at just like little baseball things. He had a double late in that game where he probably shouldn't have had a double. It's just like instincts. And I talked to a yeah. few people that are close with Kyle Tucker, and they marvel at just the little things that he does, just instinctually understanding baseball. Not the fastest guy, not the most athletic guy, doesn't have the best arm. Mm -hmm. He's just good at everything, <laughs> and there's no like scientific reason behind it. All right, uh, Astros uh, series continues this weekend against the Angels again tonight from Valdez. And Shohei Otani, I, I don't think there'll be any tickets left for that one at <laughs> Minute Park. All right, we're going to take a break on uh, Houston Sports Weekly. Good talk on the uh, Astros. Do uh, talking some Texans and OTA straight ahead. Ari uh, doing handling that and also uh, chatting it up with our insider Aaron Wilson when Houston Sports Weekly continues. Welcome back to Houston Sports Weekly, the weekly podcast on Click2Houston.com, KPRC2+. I'm Ari Alexander, and in this segment, segment two, we're going to be talking about the Houston Texans, a team that is starting to gain more and more buzz around the league, around Houston, a team that has been in a perpetual struggle, a Sisyphean effort of trying to be a decent team. And now it seems like people are at least excited. Maybe they're not going to have a great year when the record comes to show. But in terms of excitement, in terms of what they are building, people like the coach that they have. They drafted the quarterback, number two overall. They have a defense with exciting players to look forward to. Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley Jr., Will Anderson Jr. There are things to be excited about and things to look forward to and a number of topics that actually matter. It is hard to matter when you are 4-12, and 4-13, and 3-13-1, and back-to-back-to-back. But the Texans' management, you got to give them credit. They have found a way to turn it around in terms of public perception, in terms of what they are doing to try to build. And again, 
They could win five, six, seven games this season, but there's at least hope. It's almost the way that the Rockets have been handling what they're doing, even though they have been the worst team in the NBA for three years. Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, there are guys, Alperin Shangun, there are guys to watch and get excited about, and you can kind of see flashes of the future, and that is something that for the first time since the Texans had J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, since the Texans had a good team, that fans are starting to get, that there are flashes of excitement to come, that there is buzz around OTAs, and there will be buzz when we get into late July and it's time for training camp and the preseason games, that nobody but DFS degenerates wants to watch. Those are going to have buzz because every single pass by C.J. Stroud is going to be dissected, and it is great to see Again, even if they don't win a whole lot of games this year, there is actual excitement and for good reason surrounding the Texans. To run through a number of Texans topics, we are at Energy Stadium this week with KPRC2 Texans insider Aaron Wilson. Here's our conversation about Texans topics. Hey guys, it's Ari Alexander along with KPRC2 Texans insider Aaron Wilson just outside of NRG Stadium. We just got done with OTAs, got to see a little bit more drill work today and then talk to head coach D'Amico Ryans, the coordinators, the assistant coaches and learn a little bit about what the position coaches think of these guys. We're going to start on the offensive side, Aaron. There was a lot of buzz about not just what C.J. Stroud was doing off the field, but what he's doing in terms of going into learning and how he's trying to come along. What did you like about what you heard from the position coaches about C.J.? The big thing I liked is the fact that he asked a lot of questions. You're a rookie, you don't think you got it all figured out or anything <laughs> in any walk of life profession. That's a good thing. It's a positive sign. I talked about Gerard Johnson, Humble's own Gerard Johnson, Aggie, great, is, you know, when you look at the young man and his development, the fact that he doesn't think he has all figured out. So he's going and he's asking the questions, asking the right questions. And today we saw him run the first team offense and I thought he had some good moments. So, you know, they're starting to slowly integrate him more with the first team offense, not just Davis Mills always going with the ones. And, you know, we're looking at what they call a competitive situation. And so far the early returns are encouraging for CJ Stroud. Yeah, well, Gerard Johnson, first year quarterback coach, from here in Humble, gets to coach his hometown team, and year one, hey, you're in charge of the development of C.J. Stroud, of, of you know one of the top picks in the draft. What has that been like for Gerard? I know you got to talk to him a little bit at length, coming back home, and then now he's got this giant responsibility. He loves it, and you know he loves it for family reasons, and also for the fact that he grew up liking the Texans. This is his hometown team, and think about the responsibility he has big thing is to not rush C.J. Stroud, to not over really burden him in terms of his development. I think they're doing a nice job so far just giving him enough information that he can absorb. And they liked the way he took the weekend and kind of hit the ground running today. And when I think about you know Gerard and the responsibility he has, he's someone that has his eye on the future, career advancement, being a head coach one day. And he just participated in a league accelerator program intended to promote diversity, improve the track record of the league with coaches, and he's one of the bright young assistant coaches. So he's someone that has a good future ahead of him, and how he does with C.J. Stroud, that'll have a lot to say about how quickly does that future develop. Sticking with C.J., thought it was really impressive. Matt Burke, the defensive coordinator, came out and told the story about how he threw a look at him that C.J. hadn't seen. CJ did not make the right read in the look, and then he came up to Burke and said, hey, what are you throwing at me? I want to learn. I want to know to get better. What does that say about CJ Stroud? It really says a lot about 
the fact that he matters to him, that he cares a lot, and also that he's smart. So when you ask questions and you already don't have the answer, obviously he didn't, he didn't know what to do, but you're going to the expert, Matt Burke, and knowing, okay, he's the guy that just confused me, that fooled me. <laughs> How can I not have this happen in the game? I think it's encouraging. I really, uh, I like what I'm hearing. It's not the only time we've heard this. Jalen Petrie said that the same thing happened with him at a recent practice session. So CJ Stroud, I mean, it's not like you're running for quarterback, like you're running for offense, but you think about what he's doing and he's making some fans on the other side of the football, meets he's garnering respect inside the locker room and in the coaching offices. All really positive signs, which you would hope to see from a rookie to not come in here cocky, oh, I'm the number two overall pick, I've got it all figured out. No, I think that this guy came in with a chip on his shoulder, eager to prove that he's the best rookie quarterback. You know, just because Bryce Young was drafted ahead of him, that doesn't mean that he's automatically anointed as better. So we'll see what CJ does. Sticking on the offensive side of the ball, you talked to, uh, we both talked to Ben McDaniels, the wide receivers coach. This is a group that is also going to have a large part in CJ Stroud's development. And there's a lot of good feedback about another local guy, Tank Dell. Right, when you think about Tank, the big thing that comes through is sudden, explosive, gets in and out of his cuts, catches the football cleanly, and makes himself a target. And he's wide open, and he's not someone that the defensive backs really, I think, look forward to trying to check. You think about Tank, and really nothing has been too big for him so far. And we see a special teams role developing as well, possibly as a punt return, or maybe even on kickoff returns. So Tank's got the kind of versatility and route running ability to get himself on the field and get some meaningful playing time. I like Ben McDaniel's answer, I want to ask you about this, when I asked him about not having a true number one wide receiver, obviously for the fantasy enthusiasts, and you're yeah. one of them, that isn't what necessarily makes you smile, but what do you think about this collective committee approach? Because it sounds like that's what it's gonna be. I don't really like it. I think that if you have C.J. Stroud, you have a quarterback that has need, is gonna to need to be brought along. And it's really nice when you're a rookie in a situation knowing you have a true number one. There were times, and this wasn't when Deshaun was a rookie, but I remember 2019 is a really good example of this. Deshaun's still young. He has DeAndre Hopkins, and there was one play specifically, fourth down, they're trying to ice out the game in Kansas City, on the road, young quarterback. You had to make one throw, one play to win the game, and DeAndre Hopkins gets open across the middle, he makes the throw, gets down, gets the first down, you ice the clock, you're done. So that's something that I don't think C.J. Stroud has. No matter how good Robert Woods is going to be, he's not DeAndre Hopkins. I'm just not sure Robert Woods, Nico Collins, Noah Brown, rookie Tank Dell, rookie Xavier Hutchinson. I'm not sure any of these guys are that type of target where, let's say C.J. has a chance to do that same thing. He's on the road, he's about to close out a win, and he needs a guy to definitely get that catch on fourth down. I almost think that Dalton Schultz might be the guy to make that catch, and it's nice that they have him in tight end. I think there is one more move that the Texans need to make at receiver. That move is probably not DeAndre Hopkins. There aren't really guys left that are significantly better than Robert Woods on the market, but maybe DeAndre Hopkins is a domino that can lead to that move. Can the Bengals sign DeAndre Hopkins, trade T. Higgins? T. Higgins is a free agent next year. The Texans need a T. Higgins. And you get Hopkins to replace Higgins in that Bengals offense. I know they'd like to have all the pieces, but you look at that team. Tyler Boyd is still there. He's good. They have tight ends. They have obviously Jamar Chase. You put Hopkins in there, you can get rid of T. Higgins 
four pieces, four draft pieces, because you know you're drafting late with how good that team is, and now you get stuff back from the Texans instead of just letting that guy go in free agency. That's a situation I like. Probably not going to happen, but that's a situation I like. Interesting scenario. Yeah. <laughs> All right, your, your wheels are turning. <laughs> I'm thinking a little more simplistically. I'm thinking this is what it's going to be like, committee approach, and you hope that Nico Collins makes some kind of leap. You hope that when John Mechie third comes back from his hamstring, he's giving you some good competition there in the slot, and you're developing some young players. I think it's more likely, and I agree with you about Dalton Schultz. I think he could be a go-to guy for this offense in terms of working the middle and intermediate routes, and he's a very reliable pass catcher. I think he'd also be a red zone guy. The real bell cow, the centerpiece of the offense, though, he doesn't catch the ball a whole lot. And it's Damian Pierce. And he looks great out here. I think Damian is the one, if I'm thinking about fantasy football, that's the guy I think is prime for a big year two. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Damian is, is a guy who's going to be a top pick in the fantasy drafts. There is no more controversy anymore. You are now going in with this is the running back one. Devin Singletary is there to support him. Uh, Daria Gunbawale is there to support him. But, but a lot of the carries are obviously going to Damian Pierce. And, and all the feedback we were getting from the coaches he is as impressive as ever. Absolutely. When you think about Damien, he's really dedicated himself. This whole offseason has been about maintaining a low-key approach. He hasn't been really chasing a lot of interviews, things like that. Once we've chased him, we right. like to talk to Damien. He's a great interview. But, yeah, Damien's very focused. He's been working out a lot. He's been doing a lot of private work with Justin Allen. And I think he looks stronger, quicker, and more decisive than ever. And I'm excited about him. There's another offensive player I'd like to talk about, and this has to do with some business, maybe okay. some big business. They did the Laramie Tunsil contract, 25 a year. They did Shaq Mason, 12 million a year. Now, next man up could be Titus Howard. And Titus Howard, I'm hearing, is on their negotiating list. They haven't started anything yet, and it could be very expensive. And we're going to see how much do they like Titus Howard. Would you pay 17 million, 18 million, 19 million? Would you pay 20 million or more? And that's the going rate for the elite right tackle market. So if they do this, it's going to be a very expensive proposition. They're going to better be good because we're the most expensive offensive lines in the NFL. Yeah, one more quick hit I want to ask you about. Everyone is buzzing about the size of Derek Stingley Jr. Looks like he has put on some weight. Dino Vasso was talking a little bit about it. I think he was asked about it like eight times. I almost <laughs> wanted to go up to him and go, hey, man, have you heard about the Stingley weight gain? What did you see out there with Derek? Does he look significantly bigger to you? Sun's out, guns out. Yeah. yeah. Derek right. Stingley Jr. has been doing his pull-ups. We've been watching some of the photos and a little bit of the video that they put. We don't get to go in the weight room. Unfortunately, that'd be fun if we could, you know, cover it all, yeah. cover everything. But, yeah, Sting, and in talking to his father, Derek Stingley Sr., he puts a lot of work into the weight room. And I think he wanted to get a little stronger to be a little sturdier against the run and some injury prevention, add a little more armor. You know, when you do take some hits out there when you're trying to block you, I look at Sting and I think it's another good sign because he did get a little bigger and stronger. And, you know, if you think about him from last year, and he's coming off an injury, maybe his weight training wasn't quite what it you know, could be now. I look at him, I think he's definitely put on some serious flex. Yeah, that's a secondary that could really stand out in the NFL with Jimmy Ward, Petrie, Stingley, Stephen Nelson, Desmond King. They got some horses out there. Touched a little bit on the defense, talked mostly about the offense. That's kind of what everyone is all excited about. Aaron Wilson is our KPRC2 Texans insider. I'm Ari Alexander. We'll be checking in with you periodically about the progress of the Houston Texans as they look to work their way back to respectability within the NFL. Thanks for watching on KPRC2 Plus on Click2Houston.com and stay with us on KPRC2.
Great chat with our guy, Aaron Wilson, as always, the KPRC2 Texans insider. We'll wrap it up here in the next minute or so. Uh, Houston looking to lock up some of that offensive line. Of course, as, as Aaron mentioned, the contract talks haven't quite gotten there yet with Titus Howard, but you would imagine that they would get something done. And then in that case, you now have four long-term players on your offensive line. Kenyon Green is going to have a lot of pressure on him this year because we know what kind of player Shaq Mason is. Even if he declines, he should be solid at worst. Titus Howard has turned into a very good right tackle in the NFL. Laramie Tunsil is one of the best left tackles. Center is still a question mark. Can Juice Scruggs come in and take that role? Is Paul Questenberry going to be good enough to be a starter and be solid enough because the interior still has question marks? The exterior, the outs of that offensive line, the tackles, those guys are good, and you hope that C.J. Stroud is protected, Damian Pierce, Devin Singletary, those guys have the running room that they need to give the Texans offense the kind of spark that it really hasn't had, again, since Deshaun Watson was here. I know Davis Mills would show flashes here and there. I know every time I go out uh, go out to a game and some fans come up to me, they want to talk about Davis Mills, which is very odd. Davis Mills, a lot of defenders. I got nothing personal against Davis Mills. Just do not think that he is a starting quarterback in the NFL, and you hope that C.J. Stroud as the number two overall pick turns into a very good starting quarterback because the, when you look at this league and the teams that have a real shot at winning the Super Bowl, they have a high-level quarterback, and that's what the Texans are hoping to develop here in Houston as well as bringing that fan base back and redeveloping the trust that they gained when they had an era of good players, hoping that that comes back again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching another week of Houston Sports Weekly here on click2houston.com and KPRC2+.